We have been talking about this statement, you're not the boss of me, and we've been looking at things that tend to creep up into our life and control us. And whether we admit it or not, whether we allow them or not, they become the boss of us. And we like to tell a lot of other things, you're not the boss of me, and yet don't even realize that something else is controlling us. Um, and we do need to make this statement, but we need to make it to the right things. And I think that's the problem is we have said that to things that we don't need to say it to, and we've ignored saying that to things that we do need to address and truly do need to say, you are not the boss of me, and I'm going to stop letting you control me. And Jesus was very clear uh, as he dealt uh, with his disciples and even the Pharisees and uh, those around in the crowds uh, that he said, we all need to understand that there are things that are within us that are the real problem. The problem isn't out there. The problem isn't those who are trying to control us. It's not our leaders. It's not um, uh, people on the outside. It's not our mom and dad. It's not our boss um, at work. It, it's not our uh, president and the governor who are just ruining everything. That's not the problem. Jesus says the true problem comes from our own heart. The biggest problems in everything that we deal with start within our own heart. Because it's that type of control that has an eternal uh, uh, response on us. The other things that, that affect us are only temporary. You know, I don't care what our leaders do. I mean, that can only affect us temporarily. It can only affect us in this world. But those little things that we're letting control us from within, they affect the very future of our eternity. And Jesus put it this way. He said, why would you even want to gain the whole world if you end up losing your soul? What good is it to enjoy all the pleasures that this world has to offer, and yet you find yourself separated from God for eternity, tormented and lost? He says, this is what we've got to begin to change our focus to. And so we've been looking at those things, just like that puppet, that, that secretly control us. Um, and many times we know that they're there, but we don't want to admit that they are controlling uh, who we are. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at uh, one that we talked about, which was guilt. And sometimes it doesn't always show up as guilt. And, and sometimes we see it as hurt or scars or things in our past, and yet it controls us, and we need to deal with that guilt. And we talked about coming to Jesus and finding that there is no condemnation in Christ, uh, that when we begin to surrender ourselves to Christ, we find a freedom uh, from the things of our past that we can actually even begin to look at them and to carry them, and those things in our past become things that remind us of God's grace rather than things that produce anger and hostility and bitterness, and they control how we respond to everything in life. Because in Christ, there is no condemnation. God frees us from condemnation. 
And it also allows us to free others in our life. Well, today, we're going to talk about something else that we deal with a lot in our society, in this culture, um, a lot. And um, it, it really affects how we respond um, unknowingly um, and what drives us and motivates us. And that one of the things is the errs. Do you ever deal with the errs in, in, in life? And I say, what is the errs? And I'll tell you, here's what, especially in our day. Now, it has always been a, a, a thing. Throughout history, uh, people have dealt with this. But in our day and age, here's something that really brings out the errs. How many are on Facebook? Not right now, but I mean in general. Instagram, Twitter, okay? And all of us, some of us raise a hand for all of it. I have all of those accounts. And they are not bad in themselves. In fact, there are great things that God has, through those things, the gospel has gone forth. Um, we've been able to keep touch with families. But at the same time, it has raised to greater levels than ever before the errors. Because here's what the errors are. Um, someone is always prettier. Someone is always richer. Someone is always happier. Right? They're all the errors that you can think of. When you look at your social media, that's all you see. Right? Aren't we motivated by all the errors? Man, their vacation was so better. Uh, it was, and so we we just let these things begin to invade us, and they affect our heart. And even if we don't even realize it, sometimes we just watch it. And do you ever feel dissatisfied? Do you ever feel like, man, I'm just a loser, right? I feel like a loser because I, you know, what we did. You know, their kids are smarter, their kids are nicer. You know, all these errors, and we just begin to feel. Like, we've got to do better. You know, and it just begins to soak into us. But also, another uh, phenomenon, not only the errors, but we have this other thing. And this also has happened throughout history, is FOMO. Who knows what FOMO stands for? Um, it is the fear of missing out. We are driven by the fear. We see what everyone else is doing. I don't want to miss. Why do they get that and I don't get to do it? I've got to do something because I need to I need to experience the same thing they got to experience. You know, if someone else does it, well then I have the right to, I should be able to do it. We have the fear of missing out. How dare someone else get something that I don't get? And, and so we are driven to do something so that I don't miss out on what everyone else is doing. And it begins to twist our heart. The errors and the FOMO twist our, our heart, and they get our focus off of what the true meaning of life is. And they, what they are working on is something that is in, in all of us. Um, it is the true name of all of these things, and it's in the Ten Commandments because God knew that it was part of who we are, and out of it uh, comes things that we don't even want to admit. But it's this word. It's envy. We all, because of sin, because of the brokenness of our life, because we have rejected God, we deal with envy. And along with that is greed. It's the same thing. Greed, envy, it's all comparison. 
We compare ourselves to others, and, and there's this, it's a self-centeredness that, that I deserve to have what other people have. And, and so therefore, I have the right to take and to accomplish whatever I can do to meet that need. It is envy. It is greed. And it doesn't always show up as this big greed monster, right? Jealousy. Sometimes it shows up in just little things that we will even use good words to describe it, right? I'm going to be inspired. I'm inspired. No, you're probably just envious. You know, people need to dream the big dream. We even tell our kids, you need to dream big. And that's not a bad thing. But usually what's really behind it, and we don't even see it because it's so insidious, and it tricks us, and it deceives us to think that I just need to work hard for my family, right? I'm just doing this for my kids, which that sounds like a good thing, and it is. But we're going to talk about how it gets twisted. It's envy. It is greed. It's jealousy. It's self-centeredness. Me, I. Remember from the very beginning, when Eve looked at that apple, finally the snake convinced her that she looked at it and said, ooh, that's good to eat. Ooh, that's good to the eyes. Ooh, it's good to make me wise. And everything was about meeting my needs. And so envy is in all of us. And for many of us, without us knowing, it is the boss of us. It motivates you in ways that you think, no, I'm just, I'm just being with my friends. I'm just enjoying uh, the crowd, and wouldn't God, we always use this, God would want me to do that because God wants good things, and that is absolutely right. God does want good things, but instead, they come from God, not from this world. And so if we want, when we use that term, well, God would want me to have it, then here's where you get it from. You get it from God. If God would want you to have it, then we need to seek God, but yet we don't. We use that term, but then we seek the world. And we chase the world. And we do everything uh, to receive it. It is envy. Here's what the word of God. And today we're going to be looking at the words of Solomon. So we're going to be in two books of Solomon. Uh, we know the two books that he wrote, Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Um, here is what sums it up in Proverbs 14, verse 30. Envy is rottenness. To the bones. He says it straight up. Envy rots your bones. It rots your life. You know, it actually even causes physical illness. And we don't even realize it. You know, we're stressed out. Most of our stress is because of envy. Is because of greed. And it's because of non-fulfilled envy. We're not getting everything we want, but we still want it. And so therefore, it just builds up discontentment in our life. We're not happy with anything. Uh, you know, uh, we never truly have enough, right? We always have to get the next best thing, uh, the upgrade. We live in an upgrade society. And therefore, it rots our bones without us knowing it. It's like something that is slowly rotting our very life. Envy rots our bones. So what do we do about it? When we uh, think of this desire, again, we need to understand that envy is the natural good desire because everything starts good. God did, did give us a desire 
to do good things, to receive life. Uh, God told Adam and Eve, he said, I've given you all this world. Go and enjoy it and steward everything that I've had. So we do have a desire for good things. But what happens is that twists and it crosses the line. And when it crosses the line, it begins to be something that we seek what we want. And as soon as we seek what we want, it then controls us. And it is when it crosses that line that it puts our life off balance. We talked about this when we talked about guilt. The guilt is a weight. In the, all of these things are weights. And when you're carrying a weight, how many know that it's easy to get off balance? And when you are off balance, what happens? You get injured. And all of these things, when they control us, we end up being injured in our life in some way, uh, whether it is in relationships, uh, whether it is in our own self-identity and self-esteem. But the biggest injury is in our relationship with God, and it pays the price. So let's look at what Solomon says about this envy, the envy that rots our bones in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're just going to go through uh, this uh, set of scriptures, and we're just going to see what uh, uh, Solomon says, and he's going to give us really the answer uh, to envy. And how do, we, how do we say to envy, you're not the boss of me? How do we begin to cut the ties? Um, and it's hard when you don't even see it in yourself. How do I cut envy when I don't even feel like I'm envious? I don't feel jealous of anyone. I'm very happy. And yet we've got to begin to see the, the, the small areas in our life that envy is showing up. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4, um, it says this. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. First of all, Solomon says, um, all toil and all work comes out of our envy. Now, of course, this is a little hyperbole. It's, it's a generalization. Um, it is a, a, um, a generalizing of everything. But he's saying, in general, in the world itself, when we are living for ourselves, everything that we are working for, we need to understand it comes out of envy. We are we are wanting something for ourselves. It is self-centeredness. It is, it is greed. And, and many times, even when we use our family, the reason we're working for our family is because it makes us feel good. You know, we do it. I'm doing it for my kids. But are you really doing it for your kids or are you living through your kids? A lot of us do that where they give us satisfaction. Um, and, and he's saying we need to understand that, that when we are striving, when we are working hard things, a lot of it is from envy. And then he says this, we need to understand that this is vanity. And he uses this word, it is striving after the wind. It is chasing the wind. When we live life um, with a goal of good things, now understand, good things are not bad, but when they are our goal, understand the subtle difference. When the good things are our goal, they are our focus, you are chasing the wind. If you are living for happiness, if you are living for, for accomplishments, if you are living to gain things or experiences or pleasure, 
you're chasing the wind. You'll never get enough. It's like an addict. They feel really good at first, and the first few times, you're just going to really enjoy it. Life is good, but I'm going to tell you one more. Because you're never going to be satisfied with just that one time. Okay, I accomplished it. My life is complete. People say that a lot, but you'll find them, if you go back and see them a week or a month later, it's not complete. They've got a new goal. I've got to have something new because it's never complete. We are chasing something that you can't catch. The wind is something you can't hold on to, but yet we chase it. This is what Solomon says. When we work and toil for things of this world, you're chasing the wind. Now, God does not say, so we just shouldn't work for anything? We shouldn't try and achieve anything? No. In fact, the very next verse, Solomon says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. He says, you're a fool then if you just sit back and say, well, then if that's if chasing the wind and, and all those things is, is vanity, then I'm just going to sit back and say, okay, God, just do whatever you want. And you know, God will just take care of whatever he wants. He says, that's like, that's like destroying your own flesh. It's like sitting back and eating your own life up. So God did not call us to just be the people and say, well, I'm just going to let whatever happens, happens. Que sarah, sarah, right? Just going to, uh, God will provide. He says, that's a fool. So here's the thing. If chasing the things are bad, that's chasing the wind of vanity. And if sitting back and doing nothing is bad, we're like, what am I supposed to do, right? It's like, well, you're telling me that, that I shouldn't chase for good things and work hard, but I also shouldn't sit back and do nothing. So what? how do I deal with this envy? Um, uh, and I do want to mention envy is not just always material things. Sometimes we envy uh, it could be relationships. I want this type of relationship. And so we compare relationships. We compare personalities. We compare things that we're trying to, to strive for. The next verse tells us this. And here's the key. Better is a handful of quietness. Some translations say uh, uh, a peaceful heart, peacefulness, tranquility, quietness, than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. So here's what he's saying. No, you cannot focus your life on those things, but also you can't sit back and do anything. So here's the thing. You have a focus you have a goal and you work hard, but as you are working hard, you are holding on to quietness, to tranquility, to peacefulness. Now, when he talks about this, this one handful of, of tranquility, this one handful of, of quietness, while the other hand is working hard, being diligent, because remember, these are the two things that God gave them in the garden that we said. When he created them, he said, everything I've given you is for life and enjoyment. Enjoy them. But then he said this, and go and be a steward of all that I've given you. So God gives us these two hands. One hand 
to enjoy life, but the other hand, to recognize that it all comes from God. And the quietness of heart that it's talking about is having an understanding that what I hold on to greatest is a peace with God. That I am in right relationship with God. This is what I hunger for. This is what I strive for. And then at the same time, while I'm, as long as I'm holding on to that, then I can enjoy the things of life that God gives me. So we say, better than one hand grip tightly around God than two hands trying to grab everything of the world. This is the key to envy. That we begin to understand uh, that the true desire of my life becomes God. And when God becomes the focus of your life, this is what he says, then all these other things will be added to you. Then you can work hard and you can strive to be the best. But the reason you are doing it is not to gain things because you've changed your focus from the things to God. And when your focus is God, then all these other things become natural overflow. That as you do good at work, as you become a diligent person who is good with your family, taking care of your kids, then the blessings of God will overcome envy. But it has to come with a one handful of peace. And that peace is a hunger for God. Then you can actually accomplish everything you were created for. You will find your satisfaction, your contentment in life. You'll actually find a greater purpose and meaning in, in work, in family, in neighborhood, in community. When that is not your goal, when you are not striving after the wind, when you are stop chasing the wind and stop ch and start chasing God, you will find that you gain all those things that you were chasing before. This is the key. In fact, in the New Testament, it says the same thing. In 1 Timothy, this is what Paul encourages young Timothy as he's learning uh, the ways of the Lord. This is what Paul tells us, and this is something we need to learn. He says, now there is great gain, okay? God wants to bless you. God wants to give you pleasures in life. But it comes, look what it comes from, in godliness with contentment. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. In other words, I am going to seek God with all my heart, but I'm going to be content in this world. I'm not going to keep, I want more in this world. Because whatever God gives me in this world, my desire is, is for God. And so when we have a hunger for God but a contentment with the world, rather than a hunger for the world and contentment with God, here's where we turn it around. Most of us, instead of godliness with contentment, we have worldliness with complacency. I am seeking the world. I'm chasing after the things of the world. I want more friends. I want to do all the things that everyone else is doing. I don't want to miss out on what they're missing out on. I want to get all the herbs in my life, but I'm just complacent with God. I'm content with God. God, you're good. Okay, thanks, God. I believe in you. I confess you, but God is what we are complacent with, but it's the world that we're really chasing. Paul says we need to turn it around. If you want great gain in your life, if you want to give something to your kids and leave a legacy, here's what you need to chase. You need to chase godliness. You need to have a hunger to have more of God 
And then I'm just content with whatever the world gives me. If you are willing to do that, I'm telling you, then envy will lose its control over you. You will finally find freedom. It says, the next verse, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, these with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, and that rich is not just money, it can be rich in in pleasure, it can be rich in friends, it can be rich in experiences, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Envy begins to be their boss. They become a slave, even without knowing it. No, I'm in control. You think you're in control, but you are not. If you desire to be rich, you fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Those things that you think, I just want to enjoy life. It says it is a dangerous desire that is plunging you into destruction. It's lying to you, thinking that you can stop whatever you want. I'm still going to believe in God. I'm still following God. No, you're not. You're following the desires of your heart. He goes on, he says, for the love of money. And this word is really not money. It's mammon, which is actually worldliness. That the love of the world, the love of the things in the world, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves. Notice the world didn't pierce them. God didn't pierce them. They have pierced themselves. We pierce ourselves with our envy. We pierce ourselves with our greed, with our discontent. I just want more. And it's caused many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Now here it is. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It says pursue God. If our life is going to have a pursuit and a chase, you need to see your life. I need to chase God. So you can't just wait for God. I'm just going to sit back and, and God will be. No, it says pursue him. That means in your, in, in your desires for life, are we pursuing God? Are we, are we actively arranging our schedule to get closer to God? Am I doing things that bring me closer to God? Or am I doing things that meet my need, that feed my desires? Let's be honest with ourselves. It says pursue God. Here's what it says. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold, here's that one hand, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's a fight. It is a battle to pursue God and to overcome envy because envy is a boss of you that doesn't want to give up you. Envy and greed and selfishness and self-centered does not want to give you up. It wants to control you and to boss you. And you know what? You don't mind it. Because you know what? It feels good having that as my boss, even though it is secretly rotting your bones. Envy is rotting your bones, and yet you are letting it lead you down this path. Back to Ecclesiastes. Verse 7, he says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. This is chasing the wind. When we let these things 
control us. And then he gives us an example. Here's an illustration. He said there is a person who has no other. That means in their life, uh, they did not have a, it says neither a son or a brother. In other words, in that uh, society, um, uh, only the, the, the males of the family got the inheritance. So in other words, it's saying that this man did not have a son or a brother, no one to leave everything to. So everything that he was working for, he didn't have anyone to leave it to. So it wasn't, what was it going to, and yet, it says, yet there is no end to his toil. He still kept working as hard as he could to get all these things, even though he didn't have anyone to leave it to. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. That's how, that is the end where envy takes us. Envy will always leave you at a place where you are not satisfied. You might enjoy, you might think you are enjoying your life, but I'm going to tell you there's coming a day. And this is why it's so hard to break through because I am enjoying your life right now. In the middle of following envy, there will be stretches of your life that you will think that you are having more fun than you ever had. And it is the most enjoyable, but here's the lie that we fall into. We think it'll never end. But I hate to tell you, it will end. There will be a time where your friends are gone, your kids are grown up, they've gone, you stand before God. Or even before you stand before God, you lay in your bed, you say, what was it all for? And there will be dissatisfaction, there will be discontentment, there will be regret, there will be sorrow. Because, here's the key, how do we get how do we get that one handful of God where God is what I'm holding on to and my other hand can receive his blessings? Is it comes from this question. It says this person never asked this question. So in other words, here's the key. We need to ask this question. The person that Solomon saw said never ask the question, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is vanity and an unhappy business. What was the problem? They never stopped to ask themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Is it, and if you be honest with yourself, is it just because, well, I'm just going to enjoy all of life and, and get what all I can get. Well, you need to ask me, but why? What, what happens afterwards? What happens afterwards? Now, I know that we're arrogant. We say, I don't care. I'll deal with that later. What a fool. I'm just going to say, what a fool when we say that. Well, I'll deal with that later. I'm just going to enjoy now. You will, you will so regret the few years, even if it's 70 years of pleasure, for an eternity of torment. What a fool. We need to ask the question, who am I working for? We may say, well, I'm working for my kids. Are you really? That that you're doing, what are you giving them? You're giving them a foundation that is not built on God. You're not building them in God. And so therefore, they're going to have the same fall when the storm hits their sand. And that's what we have given them. So are we really working for our kids? Are we really working for our spouse to give them poisonous fruit? Well, if that's who you're working for, what a terrible person we are. So we need to ask ourselves, who am I working for? Because here's the answer. The only one that makes everything worthwhile 
is when we say, I've been working for God. I'm chasing God. That's who I'm working for. My life, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Other people may look at you and say, what a waste. You're living for the Lord. They may see that now, but in the end, we will have the inheritance. You will have goodness to give others. You will be in a place to bless others, to be that, that light of hope when they need it. When we look at ourselves and say, I am truly surrendered to God, I am working for God, I'm chasing God, then you'll find that your other hand is full of blessing, is full of life and contentment, because godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's go back to that very first verse that we opened up with, Proverbs 14.30. We only read the, the second part of the verse. Here's the full verse. Proverbs 14, it says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. A sound heart, a healed heart, a whole heart that only comes from God. A heart that is that beats for God, that is that is whole and peaceful and content in God is life. And it is life not only to your body, but it is life to those around. There's a greater gift that you can give to others than money or pleasures or experiences. To help them achieve everything in the world is not a gift to give them. To help them know God is the greatest gift that you give. And forgive us that we have missed out. We have led people astray, including our own family. Because we have been more chasing after the world and that has been rottenness to the bone. We're going to close with the same verse that we've read every week because this is what Jesus said. Where does that sound heart come from? Where does that peace and that tranquility, where does the ability to be content come from? And it comes from Jesus. In Matthew, he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, are you all of you whose bones are being rotted, you can feel the rottenness in your life. You can't put a finger on it. You don't know why you feel rotten inside. You don't know why there's just this ache within you. Jesus, come to me, and I will give you rest. And here's the key. Take my yoke upon you. See, he doesn't say just come and sit back and fold your hands, because that's a fool who's eating his own self. He says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, get to work. A yoke is what the oxen worked in the fields with. Take my yoke. Work for me. Pursue me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So today, the question is, are we willing to say, every time that we turn on our social media and we see something else and something within us just kind of says, oh, I want, we feel dissatisfied. You know, we need to say, no, envy, you're not the boss of me. No, I'm not going to feel the, that, that pang of greed or, or that pang of, of fear of missing out. And so I need to go do what they did. No, you're not the boss of me. We have got to step up and say, Jesus, I come to you. Put your yoke on me. I'm going to chase you. I'm going to seek you. God, I want more of you. 
And in those times, we can say, Envy, you're not the boss of me. But Jesus, you're the boss of me. When we make Jesus the boss of me, he gives us rest and he gives us life. And he helps us give the greater gift to others that God has put in our life. Let's bow our heads.